you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter number 13, and we will be going through and examining parts of chapters 13 and chapter number 14. Uh, as we go through the message tonight, we will begin by reading verses 1 to 3 here of chapter number 13 uh, as an introduction to the message tonight. Numbers, chapter number 13, and verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, and those men were heads of the children of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church, and Lord, I thank you for the part that they've had um, in sharing the gospel here and around the world. I thank you for the faithful folks that are represented here. I thank you for the opportunity uh, to come and the privilege to preach your word. Lord, I ask and I plead for your presence and your power in this place. Lord, you know I have nothing in myself to offer. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given, Lord, for the purpose of guiding us into all truth. And Lord, I pray that he would do so tonight. Speak to your people, speak to your church, accomplish your work for the glory of your name and your name alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now we know uh, this account, or most of us would be familiar with this account, the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They've crossed through the wilderness the first time. They've arrived at the border of Canaan land. They're at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, and they are supposed to spy out the land, and then they are supposed to go in, and they are to take the land. This is supposed to begin uh, 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 the victory. This is supposed to be uh, 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 the push towards God's purpose and God's promise. We see that in verse number two, send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. But we know that this passage, those of us that are familiar with it, um, actually leads to failure, disobedience, a lack of faith, and the loss of God's presence. Now, for us today, um, we understand that we too have been given a job and we have been given promises that God wants us to do and that he's given us um, the power to do. In Matthew 18, or 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. And so he's given his New Testament church a, a, a purpose. We are to, to, to go and teach all nations. We are to baptize them. We are to teach them all things whatsoever he has commanded us. And with that, he, he gives us really two promises. First, that all power is given unto him. You know, the authority to do so resides in him. Uh, you know, I was talking with your pastor, you know, before the service and, and about, you know, the shortages of missionaries. Um, and some of that, much of that can be based on the, the increased difficulties of getting to the foreign field. Um, as though somehow now, you know, we don't have the, the authority to get in. Um, and so, you know, it must not be what God wants us to do. Um, all power is given unto me. T 
teach all nations. That's, that's not changed, uh, and the promise is there. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said a few different places. I don't know who said it first. Um, you know, there's no such thing as a closed mission field if your priority is not making it back. You know, um, there's no such thing. Uh, you know, it's like it's our desire to, to be able to get on a plane and come back uh, that closes mission fields. Um, you know, we might have to go and, and, and focus our ministry in the jails like Paul did from time to time uh, in order to get into some of these countries, but we've been given the authority to do so. But he gives us another promise at the end, a far more comfort, a, an even more comforting promise, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, he didn't just set us adrift to do this. He's promised to be with us. And so we have a purpose and a promise. And I, I want us, as we consider what happened to the nation of Israel and how their purpose and their promise turned into such a disaster and how we can keep our purpose and our promise from turning into a similar disaster. So what happened I want us to consider two aspects particularly of what happened to the nation of Israel. First was their failure to do when God was willing. And then later we will see their failure in trying to do without God. They go to kind of two, two extremes in this passage, but both are um, total failures. First of all, the failure to do when God is willing. Oftentimes in our life, and in the life of a church, the problem is God has a purpose and is willing to work, and we are not. We are not. And that's what first happens to the nation of Israel here. Now, what happened? How did this come about? What did they do? What were the, 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 the small steps that led to this failure? Well, first of all, look with me in chapter 13, verse number 28. Chapter 13, verse 28, nevertheless... The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of, of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. The first thing I see that they did is too much credit was given to the obstacles. Hey, there's there's going to be difficulties here. There's going to be hardships, and that makes it impossible. Uh, you know, I remember uh, many years ago, um, maybe on the verge of many, many years ago now, uh, and traveling with my, my parents when we were on furlough, uh, my dad preached a message out of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9. There is a great door and effectual open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Um, and he drew attention to the fact that that's an and, not a but. You know, we often view it as a but. A great door and effectual open, but... There's many adversaries. That's what the nation of Israel did here. It's a great land. It's a good land. God's promised it to us. But these obstacles, these hardships, these difficulties, these are insurmountable. There's too many of them. They're too big. It's going to be too hard. We can't do it. And I mean, certainly, you know, we can, we can do that as a church. We can do that as individuals. You know, it's like I, I, I've known a couple of missionaries that were set to come to South Africa. Uh, they had raised their support. And at the first step, they had troubles with their visa. And that was it. You know, five years of preparation and traveling around the country. God's call on my life is to go to South Africa and preach the gospel. And 
Three months of difficulty and paperwork. The obstacles are too high. It's not going to work. We can't do it. We can make too much of the obstacles. It's too hard. You know, it's like in America, we're running into an obstacle. You know, it's getting harder and harder to evangelize. Between people not receiving it, and yea, in some cases, you know, it's like we're, we're, we, we, we're being uh, 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 told, you can't do that. And we can make a lot of those obstacles. Well, we just can't do it anymore. We can't do it in the same way. We can't do exactly what we were told to do. I mean, the Bible says preach the gospel to every creature, but, you know, you just can't do that anymore. You can't go out and engage people the same way. It's just too hard. The obstacles are too great. And they began to use that as an excuse. The next thing we see in verse number 31, but the men that went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Here we see that our strength becomes the determining factor. Our strength becomes the determining factor. We can't do this because we are not strong enough. We're unable. You know, we look sometimes at a, at a church, you know, it's like, how can we reach so many when we are so few? It can't be done. You know, and the few that we have are not ex- especially capable. You know, how can we continue to, to send foreign missionaries when we have few senders and, and none of them are rich? How can we, we fulfill the commandment to, to reach the world when we don't have the numbers, we don't have the ability, we don't have the influence, we don't have, 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 have these opportunities, and our strength becomes the determining factor. Now we know that, that it, it shouldn't have been. God had said, the land which I give you. The land that I give you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And all power is given unto me. Then in verse number 32, And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. The land eateth up the inhabitants thereof. This was the land God had promised them. And they said, it'll destroy us. That which was the promise, they now viewed as a curse. If we go and try to take that which God has promised us, it will eat us up. It will destroy us. Well, how do do we do that today? I think there's, there's two ways particularly that come to my mind. There are churches that struggle to send people out because we can't afford to lose them here. What will happen to us if we send them out? If we do what God told us to do, it will eat us up here. We won't be able to continue on. We won't be able to do what we've been doing. We'll have too many places to fill. We'll, we'll, we'll not have what we need here, so we can't do that. The other place that I believe it applies is we go out to the world and we say, if we bring them in, 
How will we be able to have what we have? They're not like us. You know, it's one of those where it's true. The world is getting worse and worse. You know, it used to be you could go out and you could win someone to Christ and they were already a moral person. And so they would come into the church and they would very quickly assimilate. They could, they could within a matter of a, a couple of days or weeks, look just like us, talk just like us, and be very much like us. Those days are quickly coming to an end. You know, there, there are people out there that we're commanded to reach that will never be able to look like us. I was just in a church recently, and, and he was telling me, we had a lady saved recently. And, and I mean, she's got it all. Tattoos. I mean, from, from here down on both arms. She's never going to look like us. And sometimes we look at people like that and say, I, I don't know if I want them here. How is that going to affect us? You know, that, that could damage what we have here if we bring that kind of people in. And it becomes, we view it as a curse to do what God has given us to do, the promise that he's given us. And that's what the nation of Israel did. God promised us this land, it's going to eat us up. Then in chapter 14 in verse number 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. It went from ten to all the congregation lifting up their voices and crying. They began to discourage each other. They began to discourage each other. And and we've got to be very careful of doing the same. In, In every way. Uh, now, it's something, you know, it's like I've, I've told a few other churches this, a few pastors in conversation, sometimes from the pulpit, but um, I was amazed, you know, kind of coming through COVID-19 um, and everything going on and, and, and watching um, Americans. I hope nobody here takes this personally. I don't think it was anyone here that I know or, or that did it. Um, but as I was locked in my own property, unable to move, and Americans made it sound like they had lost more freedom than anyone in the world, and, and woe is me, things have never been worse, and we have it terrible, please pity us. Um, it's like somewhere between cried and chuckled. You know, it's like we can, and, and, and this is true anywhere in the world, that we oftentimes lose perspective of what other people in other parts of the world are going through. You know, it's like I was reminded of it uh, uh, even this weekend. I was talking to a, a missionary who spent time in China. And like I said, South Africa had one of the strictest lockdowns, possibly the strictest in the world. If there was competition, uh, that was worse. It was China. <laughs> and so I probably didn't have it as bad as some others, even where I was. But we can begin to discourage each other with the impossibility of things. It's getting too hard. It's getting too difficult. And forgetting that we have a promise and a purpose. And we focus on the negative. Now, as Christians, we, we do have a certain insight into the direction things are going that a lot of people don't see. We, we, we have a bigger picture to look at, and so we, we see the context of everything, and, and we see where it's going. But, as Christians, we should not be discouraged by it. 
We know how it ends. And it's not a discouraging end. You know, everything that's going on is leading up to final victory. The Lord returns, King of kings, Lord of lords. A name written on his thigh. All of that. That's where it's all headed. All of this has to happen to get us there. This is, this is the build-up. And we know it's coming. We don't have to be discouraged about any of it. We should not discourage each other. The Lord, you know, we, we, we see something completely different. Ten guys, they're not going to be able to do this. The whole congregation, oh, we're not going to be able to do this. And then there's Caleb and Joshua. What in the world are we doing? Let's just go. We know how it ends. God said it's ours. I don't care about giants. Caleb, give me that mountain. Give me all the giants. I know how it ends. God promised us the land. I don't need to be discouraged. I don't need to be worried about it. This is what God is going to do because this is what God said he's going to do. And we can, but we can begin to discourage ourselves. In chapter 14, in verse number 2, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Now this passage, we see an interesting um, perspective on leadership. Moses was the leader of the congregation, but then in, in uh, chapter 3 we saw that Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And so we've got 12 men that represent leadership in Israel, as well as Moses and, 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 and Aaron, so 14. And the people made a mistake. You know, to say that they just rebelled against leadership is not entirely accurate. These ten men had been chosen because they were heads of the people of Israel. But what they began to do was murmur against those that had spoken the word of God. Moses and Aaron had continued to say, thus saith the Lord. And they had God's word to stand upon, and that's who the people began to murmur against. No, we do have to be careful in the leadership we follow. Many people followed the ten. We've got to look at the substance. What does God's word say? And when we find someone who teaches to us and preaches to us the word of God, thus saith the Lord, we must be careful of murmuring against them. That's where the nation of Israel went. This is the word of God. We want this. Then we see in verse number 2 as well. Notice it goes on there, chapter 14 and verse 2. Um, the congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? They began to despise and to belittle God's previous work. Can you imagine with me the audacity of what they're saying here? How much better we would have been if we hadn't seen God turn the, the, the Nile River into blood? 
How much better off we would have been if we hadn't seen the sun blocked out and darkness reign in Egypt? How much better off we would have been if we hadn't seen God by a mighty hand deliver us from the nation of Egypt? If we hadn't seen, as, as, as Moses' father-in-law pointed out, God prove himself strong in every area that Egypt had thought itself strong. How much better off we would have been if we'd have never seen God open the Red Sea and us walk through on dry ground? How much better off we would have been? They began to belittle and to despise what God had already done. Now for all of us, just as it did with the nation of Israel, it begins with our salvation. Let us never lose sight of the miracle that he performed in bringing us to Christ. And when we begin to doubt what God wants us to do, what he's promised us, what he's given us, his purpose in our life, we are in many ways saying, I'd have been better off if he hadn't done that. If I could just have my old life back where this isn't what was required of me. If this isn't what was expected of me, I'd be better off with, with, with what I was. Then in verse number three, Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, and that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land? Now, I believe that the nation of Israel at this time did doubt the power of God to give them the land. But in this verse, we see there was something else they were doubting. Why has God brought us here just to make us a prey? They began to doubt the goodness of God. What if, you know, and maybe there were some that were, were saying this, what if God didn't bring us out of Egypt? What if God didn't bring us through the Red Sea? What if God didn't bring us through the wilderness for our good? What if he didn't spoil the Egyptians and give us of their wealth for us? And this is what they're saying. What if he brought it here to give it to the Canaanites? He brought us here to be a prey to them. Yeah, sure, God's done some amazing things. But it wasn't for our good. He's brought us to be a prey. This, is, this has all been for them. You know, God is surely powerful, but do we really know if he's good? Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, and you have um, resulting honesty... I believe you would have to admit with me that there are times where you have questioned the goodness of God. Why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting me be in this circumstance? Why have you brought me here? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. How, how can this work together for, for, for my good? No, not going to happen. It isn't, it isn't fair. It isn't right. I don't, I'm not sure I can trust you. And we can fall into that trap, just as the nation of Israel did, and begin to doubt God's goodness. That is what brought them, one of the steps that brought them to this catastrophe, where they allowed themselves to doubt the goodness of God. 
Then in verse number four, and they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They came up with a better plan. Now, there's a lot of churches that are doing this. They've been given a purpose. Teach all nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've been given a purpose. But that one is, has got some difficulties, some hardships, some obstacles. It, 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 uh, our strength isn't enough, so let's do something else. And they start focusing on other things. Maybe it's social causes. You know, we can, we can start a, 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 a food cupboard, and we can focus on that. We can make that a, a focal point of our ministry. You know, we can, we can, we can go and, and dig wells in the Karoo in South Africa for people who don't have water. We can come up with some other plan. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those, those can all be good things to do, but they're not the purpose the Lord gave His church. We cannot make them the purpose. We cannot come up with a better plan. That's what the nation of Israel tried to do. This isn't going to work, so let's make captains and go back to Egypt. We'll come up with plan B. This ultimately resulted in verse 9, that they became rebels. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Now, from there we know that judgment comes. In chapter 14, verses 11 to 39, we see that God presents this. Ultimately, as is so often true in the Christian walk, um, the failure is one of faith, and a lack of faith has consequences. A lack of faith has consequences. Now, consider first of all in verse number 11, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. Understand with me tonight, a lack of faith is never justified. Never justified. God asks the question, the rhetorical question, because the answer is obvious. How long ere they believe me? For all the mighty works I have shown. Our lack of faith is never justified. Okay? When we don't believe God, it's because we have a problem. Not because he has proved himself incapable or unfaithful uh, or inconsiderate or not good or any of those things. A, a lack of faith is our fault. The next thing God re, uh, 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 presents to us here, when we fail, in verse 12, he tells Moses, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Now this is a humbling reminder. I am replaceable. Somewhere between 1.6 and 3 million people were replaceable. God turns to Moses, I'm going to give the descendants of Abraham this land. My word is going to be true. My promise is going to be true. But I don't have to do it with this group of people. I can replace them. 
I can do this. Notice verse 22 and 23. Because of all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he hath had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. And we know that he goes on and says, I'm going to give it to the children that you said would be a prey. What we understand here is that God's purpose is not, was not, will not be undone. But... Our participation and our enjoyment of the blessings can be. An entire generation lost out on the blessing and the privilege of God's purpose and God's promise. Because they wouldn't obey, they wouldn't believe, they wouldn't trust. And the same thing can happen to us. You know, the book of Revelation isn't going to end differently based on whether I do what I'm supposed to or not. No, his ultimate victory, all of that's going to go on with or without me. Whether I'm in one of those throngs fully rejoicing and, 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 and enjoying it can be affected by my actions. Whether I get the benefits on this earth, how many, how many rewards I'm going to receive at the judgment seat of Christ, how many crowns I'm going to have to cast at his feet, my blessings in this can be affected. The Lord's purpose is going to be done. Then we see that it moved on in verses 40 to 45. They now realize, oh, we've done something terrible. Let's go and take the land. Verse 40, they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain saying, lo, we be here and we'll go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper, go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. The Bible tells us in John 15, verses 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. They've now lost the presence of God. God has said, I won't go up with you. I'm not going into the land. I'm going to go with the next generation. And now they say, let's do it anyway. In verse 41, it is said, it shall not prosper. In verse 42, they are told, ye shall be smitten before your enemies. In verse number 43, they are promised, ye shall fall by the sword. We must have the presence of God. Without me, ye can do nothing. In Joshua chapter 21, Joshua chapter 21 and verse number 44,
And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto the fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's what was supposed to happen. Numbers 13 and 14 should have led into uh, 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 the account that we read in Joshua of the conquest and the, the fall of cities like Jericho and these others, finally culminating in this. There failed not aught of any good thing that the Lord had spoken. The Lord has given us a purpose and a promise. That's good news. We've been given a job and we can understand that not, a, not one good thing will fail of his word. We can trust him and we can follow him. In conclusion, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Individually, as a church, are you operating in faith, believing that God has given you a work and a promise? Or can it be said of you, how long will it be ere they believe me? for all the signs which I have showed among them. Are we living by faith and following him in the work he's given us to do? He's proven himself. We don't have to doubt. Secondly, do you understand that the work requires and you are thus committed to a relationship and the presence of God. Now, the nation of Israel did not have God's presence because people had rebelled. You know, and that's, that's how it works. You know, for, for God to be with this church means he's got to be with People, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's something that's starting to uh, uh, irk me more and more, you know, um, the church, yeah, the church is located at, and they give you some address, and you drive up, and you see a building, it's like, now, on any given day, the church might be located there, but if I'm driving through at Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon, it's generally not, because it's people. If Mount Zion Baptist Church is going to have the presence of God, it's because individuals are committed to having the presence of God. You know, he doesn't just show up and dwell at this address. You know, this building doesn't need to abide in him. We as individuals have to abide in him. We have to be in Christ. We have to be walking with him. We have to be living in him. If we're not, as the scripture said there in chapter 14 and verse 43, ye shall fall by the sword because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. Okay? When he is not with us, when we are not with him, it is because we have turned away. And we must turn back to him. 
Do you have a relationship with Christ? Are you abiding in him?